Woohoo! Welcome to the Summer Coldplay Podcast. We are so happy to be with you today. Happy Tuesday! It's Tuesday! Freaking Tuesday. And yeah. you saved some magic for this Tuesday. So you just let out this six-tone, it was a, a multi-layered burp. I am exceedingly impressed with your burping capabilities. Well, yeah. So ever since you got pregnant, you always save a really good burp for our mic test right before the podcast because I think you're no more than 15 seconds away from a great burp at any moment. Meanwhile, I'm more of a conventional burper. So today, right before we recorded, I went down and guzzled some chocolate milk, which is my main food source, and saved it. Made sure I barely spoke. And then right when we got on the mic test, I freaking dropped it. I dropped it like it was hot, and it was really impressive. And I think that you must be really in love with me right now. It had so many layers and yeah. so many smells. And I got to tell you, like I'm usually grossed out by burps. They're yeah. not my favorite thing in the world. And I, there was something about this when I was truly impressed. So you impressed <laughs> me with a burp and did didn't gross me out despite the layers and the smells and that's an amazing thing so you were impressed but were you aroused I don't, I don't, on the scale of impressed and aroused, I was definitely more towards impressed. <laughs> okay. I would not use that as an arousal trick in the future. Okay. I'm just uh, getting data, you know, because everyone has their own thing, right? Like I read all the time about how different people, you know, get arousal from not just like the human body or whatever. It's often from things like burps. So I was just checking in at year almost eight of our marriage to see, hey, is she actually into this shit? Is this what she wants me to do into her ear at the very intimate moment? Well, here's the thing. You can back it up. So actually, yeah. chocolate milk is what I want you to do into my ear. Oh. I freaking love <laughs> chocolate milk. And I don't know if I'm burping a lot right now because I'm pregnant yeah. or because I'm pregnant, I'm drinking a lot of chocolate milk. <laughs> we have some confounding variables in here. And so once I'm pregnant, I'm going to need, or not pregnant, I'm going to need to keep drinking chocolate milk so we can verify this. So you want chocolate milk straight into your ear is what you're saying? Chocolate milk everywhere. Just pour it all over me. Oh. It's, this stuff is delicious. Yeah. You know, they always say like strawberries and cream and like honey on, on people and stuff during like intimate times. What they should do is just be like, I bring out the, the carton of chocolate almond milk and just start pouring on you. <laughs> well, it's certainly a lot easier. I feel yeah. like the, the like strawberries and cream and honey and like whatever you're tossing on there is like the cookbook version of having like 18 complicated ingredients yeah. when all you really need to do is just throw some chocolate milk on there. <laughs> it's a lot like the early 2000s rap videos. Like occasionally, I mean, these were really misogynistic, but they would get like a bottle of Cristal and pour it on someone <laughs> on the dance floor. That's going to be me with almond chocolate milk. And then I'll pour it on myself so that it is, you know, in 2022 that we're getting equal opportunity here. You know, they were just staying wet. We're going to get <laughs> yeah. into some cooling opportunities ahead. And it's really important that you stay cool on the dance yeah. floor. Um, actually, the chocolate milk thing is an amazing piece of advice for every athlete out there. So we talked a lot of in the past about the studies on glycogen availability show that liquid calories are incredibly important. Um, and our main way of doing that is chocolate milk. And the best part of having a partner is not the love and the unconditional support and even you know someone to sleep beside you at night. It's purely that I have no idea how much chocolate milk I've drank since we both drink out of the carton. And all I know is we go through four to five cartons a week. Um, and I'm just like, hey, this is Megan, actually, not me. We should have worked this. This is our anniversary week. And yeah. We should have found a way to work chocolate milk into our wedding vows because it would be the, I think it's going to be the mainstay of our future. Oh, yeah. And I mean, our, our kid is going to be born at, you know how some, some women give birth in a bathtub? Ours is going to be filled with chocolate almond milk. <laughs> Deal? I'm sure that's incredible for infection rates. Yeah. Uh, but here's the thing is, I actually got a little concerned. I was like, am I consuming too much chocolate milk for, <laughs> for baby Rocha's health? Uh, so fingers crossed he doesn't come out just like covered in chocolate milk. Yeah, I mean, I think there's no such thing as too much chocolate milk. And if that's the only thing you take away from the SWAT podcast, it's to just douse yourself in whatever carton of delicious sugary goodness you have lying around because that will support your athletics. Or in the case of this little boy, growth in the womb so that you can be 75th percentile size and be ready to freaking rocket if you have to happen to come out 
out too early. I know. I've been using the phrase, we got to pork him up. Yeah. Uh, because I feel like, you know, if he comes early, we got to make sure he's robust. He's ready to handle the world. <laughs> and chocolate milk is the best way to guarantee a robust baby. I'm yeah. sure. We'll okay. see. TBD. We got to milk him up. Uh, <laughs> but so happy eighth anniversary. That's coming up really soon, which means we officially survived the seven year itch, which is actually a scientific variable from what I understand that this is either me- the median or mean uh, for average divorce timeline after um, people got married. So Megan, we did it. High five. We freaking did it. Big high five to yeah. that. I'm also curious what percentage of the couples that survived the seven year itch didn't know the date of their anniversary <laughs> because this whole entire week we've been convinced that our anniversary was the 15th, which yeah. is Monday. And we were talking to your parents. We were talking about how we were going to celebrate this Monday, how we were you know, going to roll this awesome week weekend into the Monday and they're like uh you guys know it's on the 17th the Wednesday so we both collectively did not know the date of our anniversary yeah so I guess we're not quite past the seven year itch yet we have oh that's a true day or two more or day and a half left we have a we have a day to fully get on each other's nerves and see what happens yeah yeah so if any podcast listeners are like hey I might have a chance here you can show up at our door <laughs> and try to like woo us like it's um what, oh god like you're John Cusack with the uh the big boom box outside of our window saying I've got this before the eighth year arrives <laughs> Oh, playing ludicrous out, out the window, carrying a thing of chocolate milk. You would, I mean, the question is, which one of us would you lure? <laughs> the problem is it would just be a third. We'd become a thruple. <laughs> so I don't know if that actually counts, if a thruppling matters. Okay, but here's the thing is, as I think about our relationship, this podcast has been like incredibly transformative for us. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like this year we've had a lot of highs. We've had a lot of lows. We've had a lot of like really difficult conversations. And there's something about sitting, I don't know, what episode number are we on right now? 115. David does the logistics, yes. as you can tell. We have been through... 115 podcast episodes with each other plus probably 10 at this point on patreon and the ability to just like sit here and listen to each other and yeah. have this dedicated date time is actually really transformative out, outside of the podcast setting yeah it must be wild for people to have watched it from the beginning so starting in june 2020 the beginning of the pandemic we we're in a very different place in our relationship everything has changed we debated in 2021 whether we wanted to have kids on here on the podcast is when you convinced me that it was okay to have kids because it's always been something that scared me and now i'm so excited just being you know your week 28 of pregnancy uh, a little bit away from it and also you went through these terrible health crises at the same time with your heart with autoimmune conditions and that is what led to actually getting pregnant in the first place so it's been so fun to get to you know live out our lives through this medium and um you know just get to spend that time with you and i imagine when the kid comes it can be even more important for us to have this date time where we just talk about shit and so if we didn't have the podcast we would probably have to talk into a fake mic um because it's been i think awesome for us i mean it's sacred date time and i think it makes me think about the idea that when we talk on here it's not like purely business either yeah and i feel like we've brought that to the rest of our lives where we'll be sitting at dinner and just have random conversations about last week we did a 15 minute aside on breast milk people yeah. who listened for the first time probably thought we were horribly weird yeah but like i think that's my goal in our relationship is just to keep continuing bringing in those weird conversations right alongside the difficult conversations and then you know weaving in regular life and newborn through it all yeah <laughs> weaving in the breast milk through it all yeah I, I was thinking about that if this was someone's first episode last week what would they think our deal is because you know we're incredibly science driven we're all about running but we've decided at a certain point that we don't want to just make a podcast about running 
because that's a little bit annoying. Like, I'm sure some people would love that. That's kind of what Patreon actually is, is we just answer running questions. Actually, there's a lot more. I think yeah. I think our weirdness in the last, like, five episodes has evolved from being fully, <laughs> fully ourselves on Patreon. Yeah. So, I mean, Patreon is definitely, I would say, it's like half and half. Maybe. That's true. And so I was looking at the, uh, the podcast episode charts. And so we hit number one last week it, with our breast milk episode, apparently. That's like uh, 20, 20 cool uses of breast milk was our uh, working title that we talked about. And right behind us at number two was Let's Run with track talk and i'm like breast milk talk beats track talk every day of the week oh shit the power of the colostrum <laughs> yeah um so we have so much fun uh coming out today we're going to be talking a lot about running topics we're going to be talking about utmb about cooling mechanisms a lot of things you can use i think we're going to get a little bit down in the dirty with some of the running stuff after you know our our after we cleared the plate with the breast milk discussion last week actually that was we we put a lot of sexy science into that discussion yeah. and we're having a lot of sexy science on today's podcast but it's going to be more running related yes more more conventional actually we were reviewing for this podcast and this shows like the nature of our personalities I'm like david there is so much sexy science there's no way we're gonna be able to cover this in <laughs> 80 90 minutes so we'll see what happens well i think it's gonna be even shorter than that we'll see it will, if it, listeners if we get to the giro d'italia study i win if we don't megan wins that is the ultimate test because she thought we we couldn't but i think we can i think we're going to be talking about the coolest science but before we get to the actual scientific studies i wanted to talk about the applied uh science that you see a lot in our recommendations so we've talked a lot about one-legged step-ups being this magical exercise and i think sometimes people that might doubt some of the recommendations we give are like oh well that's just random why do they give this so like one we tested field tested a lot with athletes before we ever talk on the podcast but before we field tested with athletes I'm constantly trying interventions on myself, always guessing and testing with random shit. My favorite thing is how many different interventions. I mean, you probably have like five different interventions yeah. going at once and you carefully work them in so that you can <laughs> figure out like, you know, the impact one at a time. You're not overloading all the variables at once. Yeah. And you were doing so much weird shit around the house. And I love that you're justifying this in the name of science. Yeah. So the most recent example is I, I've been able to do some strength training actually in pregnancy. You've been crushing it. Which I feel so empowered doing strength training in pregnancy because it's like, you know, feeling like I'm moving like an athlete. I can't yeah. really exercise, do aerobic exercise exercise very much so it's been nice to just like do like twerk my glutes yeah. feel like things are like working normally but I can't lay on my stomach so I got ankle weights yeah. um, to do hamstring curls and as soon as I open them up out of the box your eyes lit up like a kid on Christmas I so and pumped. I could see you thinking of all the different ways you could use ankle weights and I was like no 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 no, don't run in these yeah. Well, some people, I mean, you know, at year eight of their relationship need to spice it up with handcuffs or whips. <laughs> you just bring in ankle weights and I'm like sprung. Um, it was amazing. I mean, I think one of the main reasons it got me really excited is it reminded me of when I was in high school, I used ankle weights heavily for sprinting practice. Like I developed in the same thing. Were you then. wearing them when you were sprinting? Uh, going upstairs very fast. Ah. Um, so I developed this entire one hour long routine I did every night and I turned myself into a 4.38 uh, second, a four three eight sprinter in the forty yard dash, which is incredibly fast. Also, your parents still have holes in their walls, yeah, from all of the different escapades that you were trying. But the point is, I, I was the same way back then, and so with the ankle weights, I was reminded of that, and I was like, oh, this actually be really interesting as a warm up and strengthening mechanism with things like mountain legs. So, long story short, the current intervention that's underway is different ways to use ankle weights within the context of training uh, to just get a little bit of a bonus with things like mobility, not actual strengthening or speed. I'm not as dumb as I was in high school. Um, 
Um, I don't think these are gonna hold or stick and you'll never see the light of day, but I wanna point out that something like this is always going on. And if it's out there, if it hasn't been studied, I'm gonna find it for you guys, I promise. And if it's here, if we explicitly state it as something that's beneficial on the podcast, it's been field tested by David yeah. Roach for many, many, many <laughs> hours. Actually, I love the fact this morning, I was, I've been like sleeping in a little bit late in pregnancy. Yeah. You came upstairs, I'm pretty sure you were naked and wearing ankle weights. And this is, you were preparing around the house. You figure if you walk around the house in ankle weights, it'll make you feel more spry when you get yeah. out running. So and I felt fucking fantastic. So perhaps it's the ankle weights. No, we're going to get a lot more data on a lot of things. But the, the cool thing with like one-legged step-ups is, you know, I think those have kind of taken oh, those are over. truly magic. Yeah, they've taken over the world to a certain extent in the sense that, you know, people do them all over that we've never even been in contact with. And um, that was the product of trying literally everything for my fast twitch muscle fibers and seeing what worked over the course of months and then applying it to athletes. So um, I don't think ankle weights are going to be that, but I did think it was funny when you called me out for wearing ankle weights and said, David, not this shit again. <laughs> Don't mess up with my ankle weights. Get your own pair. Can I call you out on one more thing? Do it. Okay, so the other the other day I was doing single. I can actually do single leg step-ups in pregnancy. I've kind of modified them. I do them yeah. a little bit slower on the return, so I'm not just like bouncing up and down real fast for baby boy in there. And I was dancing because yeah, yeah. I dance when I do a lot of my strength training. And a few hours later, I came down to see you doing an uphill treadmill. Yeah. And you were equally dancing. Were you trying to compete with me? Or what was, <laughs> what was the thinking there? This is like, so you think you can dance? the finals and I was trying to get the 10 out of 10. Uh, no, actually I saw you doing that and I thought it was fascinating because pregnancy is very hard to do strength work for you, especially with your conditions and stuff. And I saw you doing that and you were crushing the strength. Like I haven't seen in a long time. I was like, oh, maybe there's a mechanism there. And so while I was on the treadmill, you know, it's always hard. And I was doing actually a workout on the treadmill yesterday afternoon where I was holding uh, six or a little over miles per hour at 15% grade for an extended period of time. Which is quite impressive if you don't know treadmill numbers. That's... I mean, perhaps, but the the idea being it's very hard, easy to get caught up in your head. And the way I broke it up is I started impersonating musicians, not just dancing, but actively impersonating them. So this was specifically Korn, the band that we talked about last week. And I was listening to Freak on a Leash and every time the beat dropped, it would just be like air guitar <laughs> and dancing. And every single time, interestingly, my perceived exertion went down. So my current working theory is it's not just about listening to music that helps reduce perceived exertion. It's like, I don't think that actually makes a huge difference unless you're actively engaged with it. And how do you engage with it? You can dance like you do if you're a good dancer. I'm a shitty dancer. So instead, I impersonate the lead singer of Korn. Um, and then I tried it as well uh, with Lil' Kim and it also worked. So my new thing is on the treadmill and perhaps outside, impersonate the singer while you're running and see what happens. I love that point. Also yeah. from a, a standpoint of being meditative, because sometimes when I'm listening to music, I don't even process yeah. the music. Like it's just, I will go an entire run and realize that I haven't even fully, like I, I haven't comprehended the playlist that I'm listening to. Yeah. But here's my question. Is there a difference? Like I imagine if you impersonate Korn versus Limp Bizkit versus yeah. Lizzo versus Lil' Kim, you're going to have variations in how you feel. I'd be curious to see which one lowers RPE the most. I don't versus know. Versus ludicrous. That's a good question. Or like what would happen if you did like Bon Iver or whatever? Oh man. Would that be worse? That'd be great for zone zero training. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, we'll you cannot stand Bon Iver. I don't like... Actually, I don't, I'm not a huge... I mean, I like Bon Iver. I'm neutral, but you have infected me with how much you <laughs> cannot stand Bon Iver. No, it's all amazing. I just... I, I like a little more some some. Like, obviously, I'm talking about Korn and Ludacris and Lil' Kim. Like, my musical taste might not be the most uh, sophisticated, but... 
it works for me. And sometimes it helps me get through treadmill workouts. A little something, something. That's a good descriptor for music. Yeah. So let's get to some running topics. Um, what we're going to start with here is something that's a little bit more similar to what we do on Patreon, which is a question and answer. Um, we might start to do these more in the regular podcast because people have loved the Patreon so much. So essentially what we do is we vow to answer every question that listeners send in on there. And so in the context of that, um, we get lots of really cool questions. Uh, and that's patreon.com slash swap. Um, that's our last promo for the day, but hopefully you can sign up and get access to all these. So I'm going to read a question and then we're going to go through it. You want to do this? Let's do it. And we have sexy science to back up this question. Yeah, we have so much sexy science on this episode. Okay, here it is. I struggle in the heat. I feel like I have to have salt tablets all my long runs or races. And a strategy I've been workshopping is two salt tabs every hour. I take gels every 35 to 40 minutes. However, everyone else I run with does not take any. Am I overdoing it? I know everyone's body is different, but I always struggle thinking that maybe I am doing too much. Thanks for any help on this. This is a great question. Yes. And I love them acknowledging that everyone everyone's body is different because that's actually truly what the science yeah. reflects is it's a wild west out there in terms of conclusions that people draw from salt studies. And I think it's because we just, I mean, it is a wild west in terms of people's physiology and responding to salt. So I think actually before we dive into yeah. to the science, a hypothetical at the start is you take, you are very diligent about your salt tabs. You yes. take two salt tabs every 45 minutes. Is that correct? In hard efforts and two salt tabs every hour in like each easier effort long runs and Where, only in long runs yeah. whereas i have never consumed a salt tab in my entire life yeah never cramped never had an issue in the heat and it just shows the wide variance that we see in athletes yeah and i'm covered in salt after every exercise i do if i don't do this especially um or if i don't stay on top of my hydration and i think it points out just how different physiology is and why some of the studies might have trouble pinpointing the mechanisms and so um let's take a step back and look at the studies and then we'll talk about how to put it into practice necessarily so there's a 2022 review that just came out um and it's called the effect of sodium intake on health and performance and endurance in ultra endurance sports. And it was in an interesting journal. Yeah. I love when you see like different different articles themes and see what journal they pick. They chose the International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health for this one, which yeah. maybe scratched my head a little bit, but hey, you got to get published. Yeah. But it was wherever actually you can get published. wherever you can get published, but actually it's a fantastic um, systematic review. So a systematic review, they're compiling results from multiple studies um, and using that to craft an overall narrative on sodium. And what they found was just that there was incredibly mixed data. Yeah. Um, so there was wide variety in terms of what athletes were needing, wide variety in sweat rates, and a wide variety in what athletes were consuming. I think the challenges though, is when you look at that within a single study, Sometimes the people that has a tendency to regress to the mean, yeah. which might mean that, you know, it has no, no impact on athletes. Whereas in reality, some athletes actually really do benefit from sodium supplementation. Yeah. And, you know, I think when every one of the N equals ones is unconnected, you're essentially taking fully different human physiology and then combining it all together. It doesn't necessarily make sense to do a full review of what the average person is because the average person is irrelevant to everyone that's over the median. So a good example from that study is that average... Uh, sweat rates range from 0.3 to 2.4 liters per hour. Think about how massive that is. And similarly, salt sweat rates can vary by 80 plus percent. Um, so, you know, someone that's at the low end, like maybe the athlete who asked the questions, running partners, and someone who's at the high end, like me, or a lot of our athletes who get these uh, more expensive tests, might have wildly different experiences in how replenishment changes, you know, how their bodies form and function over time. And then there's the, the challenge too of athletes who are getting tests. So the tests are typically done in an environment where an athlete is pushing their body. Typically it will be like a standard VO2 max test on a treadmill. But that test functionally looks a lot different than running an ultra marathon yeah. where the efforts are going to be a lot lower. And so we, we expect the sweat rates to change in different across different contexts. And it's really hard to measure for that unless you're you know doing a measurement of your, swel of your sweat rate at each race, at each workout. And so it's also, there's a lot of like, 
like inter-individual variability as well. Yeah. And that's something that's really hard to account for. Actually, the American College of Sports Medicine recommends anywhere from 300 to, mil- 300 to 600 milligrams of sodium per hour. Mm-hmm. But we've seen wide variances in that in terms of athletes being successful, both at the high and the low end. Yeah. And when you talk about athletes being successful, it, it's so interesting to think about how this has downstream impacts. So the one that you might have always heard is salt stops cramping. Um, but you might have also heard that that's not necessarily backed up by the studies that are out there. But the studies contrast with practical experience. So an example of a study is a 2018 review in the Journal of Extromyography, Electromyography, and Kinesiology, another interesting journal title. Um, and essentially, it pits the two different competing theories for cramping. Um, on one side, you have um, uh, dehydration and electrolyte depletion. And then on the other side, you have a neuromuscular neurological explanation. So essentially, it's coming from the spinal cord and the nervous system. And essentially, the nervous system explanation has won out in the literature. Meanwhile, though, in practice, you will all the time hear about athletes who start taking salt and stop cramping. For myself in particular, at a race at Tiger Claw last year, um, we talked about this on the podcast. I missed my salt intake at one place. I started cramping up in my foot, took salt, and it went away. Perhaps that is in my head, but that is backed up by far too many anecdotal experiences to totally put to the side. So, you know, salt intake isn't just for the reasons that they're talking about in the literature. It's much more multifactorial. I mean, what do you think? Do you think it's like a combination of things? Like what's going on? Well, I think that's the the struggle is a lot of these hypotheses are presented as this like single factor reason for cramping. When in reality, I think it's a large combination of factors. You know, perhaps someone gets a little electrolyte depleted. Their their muscular resilience is beyond what they've worked for in training um, in terms of overload. And like their neuromuscular system is struggling to adapt. And perhaps you throw the three of those into a system and it's it's really hard and throw some salt on it and it yeah. might help. And, and so I think it's it's more multifactorial than we give it credit for. Yeah, and uh, instigating these. Like for me, it only happens when I go hard to the balls to the wall for three plus hours. And then it happens all the time. Meanwhile, you've never cramped. Um, similar with athletes on our team, like clearly there is a genetic component. Mike, most likely it's connected to some sort of fatigue resistance style mechanism where it has a spinal cord... Um, um, origin mm-hmm. that then is influenced by things that impact the you know the nervous system more generally, of which electrolytes is one, and, and things like magnesium, which is why I love goo roctane capsules rather than just pure salt tabs because they have magnesium in them um, and it could have some of the other things that might contribute here. So long story short, has lots of freaking variants, and I wouldn't put any weight or I, all of the weight on any one study or even a review study. I would say to also know your N of one. Yeah. Like, so do experiments on yourself carefully, recognizing the, yeah. you know, the struggles of hyponatremia and hypernatremia. So the extremes of, t- of, you know, not having enough salt on board or having too much salt on board. And I think, you know, be willing to do those experiments and don't compare yourself to your friends because that's yeah. just a challenge to make. But here's the thing is you talked about the Gurroctane salt tabs. Yeah. Don't do what you've done in races before where you just jam them into whatever like <laughs> pocket or orifice you can put them in because they explode. Yeah. And that's happened to you in races before and you've been fully out of lock on salt tubs. Yeah, yeah. So you need to make sure you put them in a waterproof container, something I've learned the very hard way and had some, some of my hard races have been explained by that, including um, when we went to Europe and raced at the world championships, I had an experience where my entire body cramped. Um, and the only explanation I have is my best training cycle ever. Um, in retrospect is that I had no sodium in that race. And it gets back to some of the things we're going to be talking about with UTMB. There can sometimes be different aid station styles. And at this particular race in Europe, there was no sodium sources at this aid station other than like potatoes. Like there wasn't, you know, traditional electrolyte supplements and things. And it it really came back and bit me in the butt, Um, probably connected to my baseline fatigue resistance and nervous system state. So as Megan said, experiment with yourself. Um, If this does help you feel better, 
most likely there is a mechanism that you might not be catching, but make sure you don't just catch like whatever you're doing as the dogma to apply forever. Um, so I think this can really help endurance start with like a capsule or two per hour um, on top of, you know, while incorporating some of your other sources and then go from there and experiment over time and find what works for you without ever overdoing it because that can be really bad too. What I generally say to athletes is to start with the exact recommendation provided by the the whatever it is that you're taking. So like the, yeah. goo, the, goo, the goo salt tabs, like stick with those recommendations and then start to develop data points on how you can possibly deviate from that. Avoiding huge deviations unless you have evidence that like you're a very, very heavy salter or very, very heavy sweater. But here's the other thing too yeah. is actually if your goo, if your tablets happen to explode, which has happened to you before, or you're in Europe and the only thing they have at aid stations is croissants which are like, <laughs> entirely unhelpfully unsalty un you can actually there's a there's a theory in literature that you can kind of create poor man's salt tabs and these don't get the, the same amount of salt but if you tap if you put in 0.5 teaspoons of table salt to every 32 um, ounces of fluid you can of sports drink you can actually like you're not going to taste the added salt in there it will wow. still be palatable and you're still going to get some of that salt boost so even if you have to take like packets of salt yeah. you can get creative at aid stations i love that that's really i never never thought of that but another option is if i'm around you can just come lick me <laughs> yeah. like anyone any podcast listener you just say woohoo and lick me and you'll get all the salt you need you never have to worry about electrolyte tablets because i salt so fucking hard i'm actually a little concerned about addy dog yeah because between the food that we give her and then her licking you post run she probably gets like a thousand percent of her daily value yeah. of sodium intake so yeah it's pretty wild and i mean that's the thing the big, the big takeaway the thousand foot view here is some people barely salt at all like almost within the margin of error of zero essentially when you're thinking about the things they're taking in like they'll get it from whatever random supplements they take in other people have wildly high salt rates those can be changed a little bit through nature like your diet and things but there is some baseline um, predispositions there if you replace a solid amount of your electrolytes, you're probably going to have better performance, even if they don't know exactly why. Um, likely, even if it just ties towards like hypernatremia and things like that. So uh, try to replace, but don't focus on what someone might, who might be on a totally different part of the bell curve does. Um, I think that's the big overall conclusion. And no matter where you stand on the bell curve, you yeah. are enough. We've <laughs> actually, so we've been watching, we loved watching the Tour de France. Yeah. And in the Tour de France Femmes, the announcers, they would point out people who were salting and yeah. basically call them out the entire race. Yeah. Almost as if it was like this tragic downfall of their physiology. They're like, look how much they're salting. See that salt on their yeah. jersey. And it's like, no, there's it's genetics. Like they can't do anything about that. They're doing the best they can. And so same, I mean, sometimes I feel like you've been frustrated with your genetics and yeah. you just, you got to find ways to work around that it. That makes me feel good because they did point out Annemiek van Vluden for having salt on her jersey early in the tour. And then she comes back and absolutely demolishes the field later on in the tour. So uh, it points out that as long as you're paying attention, you're good to go. Um, so that's a, a preview of the remix of our, our Patreon type of conversations. That plus a few more dick jokes is basically what you can get <laughs> at patreon.com slash slot. I don't know. We maxed out on last week's podcast on dick jokes. We finished and I was like, do we have too many? No, no such thing as too many dick jokes, Megan. There's only way to hit, only one way to hit number one in the rankings. That's actually a good counterfactual is if we had just done a running podcast, because like, you know more about running and some, any of this stuff than almost anyone in the whole world. Would we? Uh, I don't know about that, but you know more about dicks than anyone in the world. <laughs> Dick jokes. I didn't mean that. That sounds. <laughs> Is that our eighth, eighth anniversary special? I meant dick jokes, not dicks. We're definitely leaving that joke yeah, in. We can definitely leave that in there. I love it. It's a little bit of a, a little bit of a slip. Yeah. No, I like to think that I'm a dick connoisseur. <laughs> <laughs> dick sommelier. This dick sent, uh, has uh, 
general hints of birch, actually. Um, and so on the birch stick, let's talk about another subject uh, that's kind of related. This is cooling. Um, don't know how this is related to dicks. Definitely related to It's definitely salt. related to salting. Yeah, it is definitely related to that. If anyone could put together a triangle between the three of those, let us know. <laughs> I'm sure there's some good diagram creators out there that could. Um, so I'm going to start with what I'm looking at right now, which is Megan is in a sports bra and shorts with a massive uh, ball in her stomach. Um, but then on her neck is, what is that, Megan? What is that horseshoe around your neck? So I got this nifty cooling device from Amazon. Yeah. It's a uh, it's an ice pack that goes around your neck. So it kind of looks like an ice, like one of those supports that you use for your neck, but it's ice. Oh, like in the plane or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's ice, it's cooling. I will say this though, it's not the greatest buy that I've ever had on Amazon yeah. because it only cools for about 10 minutes. Then it turns to skin temperature. But those 10 minutes are divine. I think the problem is you're so hot. I I'm radiating heat. Actually, pregnancy just makes you radiate heat all of the time. And so it's basically been this like practice for me of heat mitigation to be happy and content and feel good. And so I've been working the cooling strategies and it's actually, as I return back to ultra running, it's going to be helpful. Yeah, it's going to be so helpful. And it's helped me actually as a coach in an immense fashion. I mean, to point out just how hard it is for you. We went out to fetch Addy yesterday at like 7.30 or 8 a.m. Warm sun here in Boulder, but not that hot. And you were just standing there. And your heart rate was 101, which was scary thinking about all the heart stuff we've been through. But the fact that you weren't doing anything indicates maybe it's not your heart. Maybe you're just incredibly heat sensitive right now with the medications and everything. And so you've had to turn into a little bit of an indoor cat. Uh, you don't really go outside unless we're near a body of water at this point. I'm in, ah, I don't know if I'm an indoor cat or like a, a walrus. I just need to like <laughs> tip me over into the water very gently. But actually if I was an indoor cat, I could really use some like scratching posts right now to make yeah. life a little bit more fun. But yeah, no, I've been thinking about all the different cooling strategies. So you're, you're a walrus is what you're saying. Like, I mean, I feel like a walrus. Yeah. Well, I did, we did hear about Freya, the walrus in Norway that just was popping up on their boats and things. So you're like a Freya, the walrus, uh, for modern times. So, uh, were you, I don't know if you've seen the recent news stories. I think Freya, the walrus had some like tragic downfall. Wait, what? Yeah, Wait. no, you should, we'll, we'll Google after the pocket. Don't, if you are, if you are a walrus lover, trigger warning, do not Google Freya, the walrus. Oh my God. I'm like I know so it's very sad. sad. I know. How am I going to make jokes about dicks anymore? <laughs> No, this is hard. I mean, I, not only do I love walruses like everyone else, but a lot of my work in the past has centered on walrus in Alaska. Um, oh, I didn't know it was walrus based in Alaska. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the four species that I specialized in. So, this is. Do you ex- have any walrus facts? Oh, I mean, I have so many facts about walrus management, not necessarily. <laughs> I was going to say, you know the legal coding. Their okay. physiology. I know how they hunt them, interestingly, but that's about it. Oh, interesting. <laughs> that could be another podcast episode, how, how I've heard uh, the secret of walrus hunting with subsistence resources. Um, so on these cooling topics, it has been a place where our coaching has fundamentally started to shift. So where I've seen it with myself is I've started using them on my long runs. In the past, I was like, oh, well, the heat acclimation is a good thing. And I shouldn't you know, diminish that by using cooling. And instead, what I've been like is I want to cool all the time because it improves my performance. And I have heart rate data on all my runs. And so on my long runs recently at mile three, there's a great creek. And so I've talked about, you know, dousing myself in it. And since I've started that, my heart rate on the subsequent climb has been 10 to 15 bit beats per minute lower. And my times have been faster. And that's translated into adaptations across the board that make me really confident ahead. And so the idea here is that even in not that hot conditions, cooling can lead to wildly good performances. Like I think that this is a massive opportunity to have breakthroughs ahead, even at relatively temperate races. I think it's a massive opportunity to 
please stay wet is the, is the key of all this. But here's the thing, actually, though, if you think about that as a feedback cycle, so because you were practicing cooling, yeah. you're able to get out there at an effort that's, that's stronger for you. And that feeds back into your overall training cycle. I mean, you're, you're running the climbs 15 to 30 seconds stronger than you have before. Yeah. That only feeds back into like the mechanical stimulus, the neuromuscular st- stimulus, um, the overall training context that allows you to keep developing and growing. Yeah. And so that's amazing in training. But if you think about it in performance too, if it's impacting races at like 50 degrees, 60 degrees, like doing it all the time is going to be super helpful. Yeah. And on, on the staying wet concept is the greatest quote about cooling. Uh, this is from Pam Smith who won Western States in 2013. She said in an article in I run far, treat me like a porn star. Keep me wet, keep me lubed, and keep me excited. That's an incredible quote. <laughs> also, I loved, so we were grabbing that quote. We wanted to know the exact, we, we've, we've referenced it before, but yeah. we wanted the exact quote for the podcast. And as you Googled it, you just typed in Pam Smith porn. <laughs> and lots, I mean, Pam Smith is a very common name. We got lots of things that were not that quote. Yeah, I'm kind of excited to click on the first link in the Pam Smith <laughs> porn before I run far. Um, that, was I run far the second link? Yeah. It That's was... pretty good SEO. Yeah, it's really so good. Pam Smith porn. I'm really surprised. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm actually too. The more I think about it, um, but that being said, it wasn't number one, and so we need to check that out for our eighth anniversary. We'll do special. some research. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll do some research and get back to you. Um, so the basic idea here is that you're starting to see cooling everywhere. Um, we've always seen it in passing, um, but in particular, where we saw it was in the bike races this year. And um, not just that, we talked about that a little bit on the podcast. If you're watching the soccer matches, they have cooling vests on the sidelines. So they have ice vests on the sidelines. Clearly, this is starting to to reach a broader level. And and like Megan said before, this starts at very low temperatures. I think cooling has always been talked about as Western states. But in reality, there was a 2012 analysis in Plus One Journal that looked at 2 million results from six major marathons and found that times began decreasing around 50 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, And then around 68 Average times decreased by almost 30 seconds per mile for an athlete running a 315 marathon. It's like, I always thought 68 was pretty good conditions. It's like, actually, your performance starts to suffer way earlier than that. And that's a huge thing to consider for, you know, racing um, in all temperate conditions, which is most of the races year round. And then when you look at the trajectory as the temperature starts climbing into the 70s, 80s, 90s, it becomes really steep. Um, And of course, we see athletes experiencing that all the time. I think it's similar, though, in terms of the sodium discussion and that the impacts of heat are really multi factorial in terms of what's happening on the body's physiology and there's been a lot of neat studies that have gone in and looked at like what are all the different cascades of processes that the body is experiencing when it has you know heat strain which you could experience even at 50 or 60 degrees so there was an amazing there was a 2012 review in sports medicine and they looked at some of the different mechanisms and my favorite so they 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 looked at thermal strain and hyperthermia and they found that it reduces metabolic efficiency um it causes peripheral and central fatigue and it stresses the cardiovascular system so we're talking about basically like every single system in the body yeah. impacted by heat stress. Yeah, and so I always like to think of hyperthermia, you know, for my non-scientist background is getting hot. Um, <laughs> but short of that, I mean, uh, in, in even more interesting complex mechanisms happen with the brain. So the brain has thermal regulation that starts long before the brain is actually affected. And so when you're pushing really hard, those mechanisms really kick into gear. And so if you've ever had this moment, it might be 70 degrees and you just feel hot and your body is starting to, heart rate is going through the fucking roof really early. That's probably overheating already. Um, and it has probably to do with these anticipatory down regulations that can happen within um, the spinal cord. Um, so the really cool thing is, all right, let's put the rubber to the road. There's some review studies in the British Journal of Sports Medicine, one in particular from 2015, that found a 5.7% performance improvement from pre-cooling and a 9.9% improvement from cooling during events. 
That is wild. I mean, that is as much as EPO, right? Like the most banned substance in the world. Essentially, we're looking at the natural, easy to apply EPO that everyone can take. And it's like, oh my God, this is a huge opportunity. And I think one of the reasons our athletes have had so many breakthroughs this year is partially like everyone's cooling now. It's something that we're focusing on across the board and it can be relatively simple. Well, here's the thing. So we have like EPO on one side and then we have like staying wet on the other side, which is like relatively simple and low cost is I've been surprised that we haven't had a lot of like entrepreneurs coming in and putting cooling devices in every single clothing article possible. Like I would love a shirt that holds ice. I mean, technically that's an ice vest, but like, I think we can make it even more streamlined so athletes can run with them. Like shorts that allow you to stuff ice down your crotch and have it hold there. So I feel like we're going to be in this whole new landscape of developing clothing, developing gear that's going to be tailored around cooling with all of these new studies coming out. That's an amazing point. And my guess is it's already there, but kind of proprietary behind the scenes. Like looking at those those cyclists at the Tour de France, I bet some of their jerseys have wild things going on. So like the most obvious thing at the tour is they would just put ice packs on their neck and you would see that all the time. And I'm like, I bet there's like recirculative cooling and things like that that are trying to get the you know evaporative mechanism going. Um, so I think it's really fascinating, but essentially all this amounts to in practice. And if you listen to nothing else, this will be the way to improve your performance by 10% immediately with no other changes is you want to stay wet during activity. Like that's the big number one out of our four recommendations. Um, so in the Tour de France, you saw people just dousing themselves with water, careful to not make your shoes too wet because then that'll cause feet issues perhaps. Um, but if you can keep your skin surface wet, the way I like to do it is this is a big thing, Megan. For Mr. Shirtless over here running, I've started wearing a shirt for my long run days because having my shirt wet has made such a huge difference. So like a lightweight shirt has made all the difference for me. I'm surprised that you have a lightweight shirt available to wear. You have have basically no clothing. So the fact that you're able to summon a shirt for your runs is pretty impressive. I might've gotten it from your closet. (laughs) I am not surprised at all. But actually I would say to be careful with it in some circumstances. So I think the interesting thing about really long ultras is that the body, um, because of all the different stresses it's under, can lose the ability to regulate temperature. there have actually been really interesting studies coming out and um, I need to dive more into like the exact research on this, but looking at, there have been hypothermia cases at Marathon de Sables, which is yeah. an incredibly hot race. And so I think it's also important too that you're listening to your body. And if you feel like you're cooling to the point where your body is not able to regulate your temperature, don't do it. Yeah. Um, so like there are some, I mean, it's also really important to practice general safety with us too. Definitely. And as I understand it, that is usually tied towards depletion, glycogen depletion as well. And so, you know, probably, especially over very, very, very long events, it becomes an issue. But we've seen at Western States, people shivering at Forest Hills. So, um, which, which is a good thing. But I think just make sure that you're paying attention to like your cognitive state, um, your fluid state, yeah. all of that. Because if you're shivering and your body is not able to regulate temperature and you're staying wet and putting all this ice on top of that, that can also be challenging It can be too. a huge deal. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's the next step is ice. Um, apply ice whenever it's possible. It's very difficult um, in some senses. So like I've never really done it outside of races. But if you're in a warm race or even a race that's going to be 70, degrees think about the ice scenarios at the aid stations maybe get an ice bandana and then the last one is pre-event cooling this is a place i have fully let myself down over time i remember at the world championships in 2014 the short distance mountain champs i was you know the race was started at 11 or something and i got so hyped up and i had coffee and i was just ready to go and i got to the start line i was burning hot standing around all these european men who didn't use deodorant <laughs> and my race which was, makes me feel right at home yeah yo, because i'm here or because you're because no, i'm here that's oh. exactly how i smell and i'm like i found my people <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know. I think you smell delightful. That maybe it's just your pheromones. Yeah, you're you're a solid two feet away from me right yeah. now. And that being said, I do like Joe Gray's pheromones, but he's just deodorant, <laughs> so that might not apply. Um, so you know, the pre-event cooling would have been a huge opportunity. So Nike makes an ice vest, and other other places do too. What I recommend athletes to do. Do your short warm-up like 45 minutes before. Do a 5 or 10-minute jog or a little longer if it's a short-distance event. Then either wet your skin a little bit to stay cool and get in the shade or have an ice vest ready and then cool your body after your warm-up. And so if you can do that summer pre-event cooling, you can see pretty big gains. Like in this BGSM study, it was 5.7%. So try to harness those too. And I have one question to you actually, and this yeah. you might be able to answer this, is so the other night we were in the creek and I shockingly tossed cold water on you and yeah. you were not pleased with me. I was I was worried our marriage vows might go, out, <laughs> uh, might go out the window. But you squealed and you squealed, you had a very high-pitched, cute squeal. It was, yeah. it, was, it, was, it was nice. But I wonder if there's some element to, you know, when you shock someone with cold water, yeah. if that feeling of being shocked has a stronger contribution to the overall cooling response compared to like if you knowingly put ice on yourself and you're prepared for it and you know what's coming. Well, yeah. So you squirted on me. I squealed. Um, (laughs) uh, um, Yeah, I don't know exactly. I mean, I think it does. Like the shock mechanism does matter. I think it's more about the location of it. Like Mm -hmm. Huberman loves to talk about hand cooling. I don't. There's a Stanford glove. Um, Yeah, yeah, it's pretty novel. You put your hand in there, and I don't know. There's a lot of capillaries in the hands. I don't know. That's one of those things. I'm like, let's validate those studies against a lot of real world results before we all start wearing gloves. Um, But obviously, back of the neck is a huge one. Like I've noticed that in the creek, it makes a massive difference for me. Essentially, just trying to get your core temperature down is whatever way you can. Tossed it right on your belly. <laughs> yeah, you did. Squirt it all over me. It was great. Okay, um, so cool. Uh, next thing is a quick uh, reminder of how much you are all loved, especially through the low moments that the world might not see. Um, so this is uh, ba- Bailey Kowalczyk, um, who finished sixth at Sears and all this week, top American, sixth at Sears and all on the most competitive mountain race in the world, short distance, is inc- as impressive as it gets for an American. Like this doesn't really happen. Um, and I was crying at 5.30 watching her cross the finish line. Um, and I wasn't crying because of a result. I was crying because she was smiling in the finish line. And um, yeah, we want to say, Bailey, we love you. And we want to just give like a quick window into you know, uh, her journey, but without telling her story outside of what she posted on Instagram. Bailey's been incredible the last couple of months. I have cried multiple times of tears of joy as Bailey has come back from some of the challenges that she's she's had. And she gave us full permission where I was like, David, we need to talk to Bailey before we yeah. share her story on the podcast. And she gave us full permission. And I feel like part of what allowed her to give us full permission was the idea that she also, she's an incredible coach yeah. and she just wants to help others. And I think she understands that by sharing her journey, she's letting people into her life, but she's also helping a lot of people out there struggling. And can I read this first Instagram post that she wrote? It's so beautiful. It provides context for her journey. Since it's pretty long, how we alternate paragraph to paragraph. Perfect. Okay. Teamwork time. Yes. The truth of 2022. I spent the last eight months fighting to get my life back from the grips of an intense anorexia relapse. I have felt so many feelings this year, shame, embarrassment, sadness, anger, frustration, and fear to name a few. I naively thought that trail running was my saving grace from this illness, that I would never have to fight my demons again. I fell into wanting to find that quote-unquote 1% better Bailey and instead found myself sidelined for months and close to death. I'm not proud of this, but if I can debunk this quote-unquote thinner is better ideal for just one person, then I will share my story over and over again. In the last two months, I have felt more happiness creeping in, more hope, belief, and love than I thought would be possible. Love for this sport, love for my body for forgiving me again, love for this community of amazing humans that support me. This is what the sport is about. This is what life is about. I am by no means done with this journey, and I will not lie and say that it has been easy or comfortable. What I can say is that having a healthy body is worth every second of it. 
even if your brain tells you otherwise. Your journey is yours and nobody else's. Shall I repeat this? And the sport that we love so much needs some serious culture changes. More to come here, but mental health is real and it is important. Hitting rock bottom is not fun. Falling is scary. There is nothing pretty about my how my year started, but I truly believe that I'll be better and stronger as a result of this. Bailey 3.0 is coming in hot, and I'll be here to stay. Join the party or get out of the way. <laughs> That's an incredible final piece of writing. Also, Bailey should be a rap star, I'm pretty yeah. convinced, after reading that, that mic drop of the last yeah. sentence. Bailey 3.0. I mean, Bailey 3.0 has shown already that she's one of the best athletes in the world, and it took periods of darkness and uh, difficulty that the world did not see. A few people did, perhaps, but um, and, and you know we were we were two of them. But like the fact that you know she went through this and came out the other end, smiling at these races, and you know still going through difficulties, and it's a long journey. But getting to this point shows that vulnerability and openness are superpowers. And if you're out there struggling with something, you are so loved, and it's really hard to open up. Um, you don't have to open up on Instagram to start, like or ever. That's a step later. But open up to people around you. Be honest. And that's where the love will come from. And I think what Bailey saw is not only is you know she a great person and a great coach and all this, but she is loved more than almost anyone in the world. And she's loved because she got vulnerable with friends, with strangers, with everyone. And so Bailey, we love you. We're so proud of you. I am so proud of Bailey. And in that vulnerability led to a fuck ton of gratitude. Yeah. I have been so impressed with how, just how much love and respect she has for the sport of running upon coming back. So as she was building back into running, Addie and I were out there hiking on trails quite a bit and we would run into Bailey um, as she was building back into her miles. And she just seemed grateful for each mile that she could be out there. And I think whether she finished sixth at Sierra's and all, or if she finished, you know, in the back half of the race, she just would have been really excited to be out there competing and lifting up others along the way. And I'm so, so proud of Bailey. Yeah. Also, just from a practical point of view, strength is speed. You know, like Mm -hmm. everybody looks different. I heard this song today called Victoria's Secret by singer Jax. And I forget the exact lyrics, but essentially it's like, I wish somebody had told me when I was young that every single body is incredibly different. And, you know, for Bailey in particular, it's like she's had to come to terms with that, that she's not going to look exactly like everyone else will. And nor will you if you're, you're listening to this. And so embracing the fact that finding your specific strong will be the fastest version of you too. And so hell yeah, Bailey, uh, we're going to take inspiration forever from that. And so without further ado, on to the UTMB preview. And Megan, you were right because we are going to skip the Giro d'Italia study. Oh, snap. <laughs> Actually, um, on, on relationship advice, we talked about this on our Patreon episode. Yeah. They said that one of the best things that you could tell your partner, there was like six different things. One of them was, you know, I love you. You look amazing today. Like, let's go out on a, on a dinner date. The last one was, you were right. <laughs> and I, those moments are amazing, but we haven't, we haven't been equally around here. I think the sixth one I saw was, when you squirt, I squeal. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, but yeah, no, I think, um, you know, you were totally right we're gonna to get to that study i actually might write about it in toronto this week it's very fascinating actually we should cover it on next week's podcast it's yeah. an incredible study we love i mean we just love bike racing and it's really fun to look at the principles of training and see how that applies to bike racing with the caveat that running is obviously mechanically much different yeah. so many different changes but it's just fun to nerd out on different sports yeah and maybe the the one sentence thing i'll say that is relative to the utmb preview is that this was looking at three of the top five performers at the Giro d'Italia. And one of them averaged 14 hours a week in a non 
non-impact sport. So when we're talking about who has had the best training for UTMB, it doesn't mean volume is the best thing. Like every single individual's physiology applies differently. And then what's fascinating about that study is it shows that lab-based interventions do not always apply to the real world. So we are talking about the real world to the max at UTMB. So let's get into it. Uh, I think a fun fact to start is that it has only been a race since 2003. This is relatively new uh, in, in the big scheme of trail running, and it's become, I think, the biggest race in the world. You know, I think Western States has more history and really matters, but it's less deep because of the comp, how hard it is to qualify. UTMB is so deep. It has dozens and dozens and dozens of pros in, um, in both in every single race. Um, and not only that, it's like everyone wants to get to UTMP from all over the world. It's pretty impressive. In fact, if you're listening right now, don't go to the Iron Far preview if you're racing yeah. and like scroll down because there's just reams of exceedingly talented people as you scroll down the list. But it's part of, I mean, it's the Super Bowl of trailing. And I think embracing that level of competition is super cool. Yeah. So, I mean, we're really excited for it. I have a question though. Do you know the origin story of how UTMB involved? Like there's all these cool races about like Mount Marathon, people sitting around in a bar asking, you know, could they get to the top of Mount Marathon and back in under an hour? But at UTMB, how do you even conceive of what, like, why do you create a 107? mile route in the mountains like what's the origin behind that i think uh killian's parents um <laughs> just you know they were no i'm not gonna make that joke i don't want i have too much respect for killian i'm gonna stop there i do not know the origin story is the actual answer i'm going to say and um but i imagine it involves a lot of spandex and a little bit of dry rubbing i don't mm, know exactly how mm. but but it was sexy killian wore white spandex one year at western states yeah. it was a real ballsy move i appreciated it yeah it was really really amazing um, so yeah chamonix is complicated right now that's where the race is i think it's a little bit like high school cafeteria for professional sports um everyone is there right now everyone's training if you're there right now and listening to this podcast like really take everything we say with a grain of salt you understand our perspective we don't give a fuck about where you finish we love you we're just trying to have fun with the sport as much as we can um and try to you know dissociate yourself from that like no matter who wins UTMB or who finishes fifth no one will give a, a single crap within a month, right? Like the world moves on. It can feel like everything that matters is like popularity in this, you know, pressure cooker in this cafeteria, but it's not at all that's the case. It's about having fun. It's about making memories. And I think there's a delicate balance of feeling overwhelmed. So I think we're going to talk ahead. Um, Claire, Gallagher, Claire Gallagher gave some incredible advice about heading into the race naive, like yeah. not immersing yourself in it so much that like there's all of these competing things to do in your head of how to best approach the race, who's there, this and that. And I think, so I think there's, it's a delicate balance of avoiding being like completely overstimulated by the event and going in and being like Chamonix is an incredible place for a vacation, for a party to get to immerse myself with all these elite athletes. And I think it's about finding that balance and knowing your personal preference of where you fall on that scale. And I'm telling athletes like approach it like it's a vacation, but also head in with like, you know, with conscious naivete, knowing that like, you know, there's also no need to like fully immerse yourself in it either. I love that. Yeah. And I always recommend carrying around just one pair of panties in case you see Killian. Just just toss it to him. Um, He'll understand. He's probably gets that a lot. Okay. So what we're going to start with is an overview of races. A lot of people might not know exactly what they are. I think what we're going to do is incorporate some of the understanding of how training works for each of them. Um, And then we'll have fun, uh, I think, acronyms as well. So the first is UTMB, the you know grandfather of them all. It's 107 miles with 34,000 feet of climbing. That's brutal. Wowza. That yeah. is a lot. The last seven miles there is a kicker. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, why? Why? It could have been 100. Well, it's, it's been great. I mean, it's, it's, it's a big based. circle. Yeah, exactly. They it had would, to do the circle. It, it wouldn't be, I mean, it would actually, honestly, 
if I had the choice between running 107 miles and closing their circle or running 100 miles and having that like Strava file where yeah. the circle's not really closed, I would choose 107. Well, what they should do is have an e-bike to take you seven miles of the route, just somewhere. That's true. Um, that would be much more effective. <laughs> um, so the it gets up to 8,000 feet in elevation, so it gets pretty high. Another weird concept of this is it starts at 6 p.m., which can throw athletes off. It's a little strange. Um, and then the skills this requires. I think the big one is efficient downs. This is a very steep race, but it's not as technical as something like Hard Rock. So you really need to be able to withstand those downhills. Um, number two is power hiking. Like Every athlete is going to be power hiking a ton. It's a huge skill in this event. That's why you see really fast athletes like Jim Walmsley doing a ton of hiking leading up to this. Um, and then just the common ones, fueling and fatigue resistance. Like this race plays so damn far and you know, it has nothing to do with who can get to mile 40 first. It's about who can get to mile 107 first. And those are two very different questions. It heavily rewards patience yes. and people who have just like, you know, shown up in training and approach the, the idea of developing muscle resilience. And so combining muscle resilience and patience over time. One thing that I think is interesting that is that even though it gets up to 8k feet, yeah. um, Chamonix itself is at 3,300 feet. Yeah. And so it's not as big of an altitude stimulus is what we think about like Leadville and Hard Rock and some of these other races. But I would say in my book, it's much harder than Leadville and Hard Rock. Yeah, I think it's much harder because the competition is so high. Like there's that's no true. margin for error, yeah. right? So, you know, if you're one of these athletes that's really putting yourself out there, you're just like, you know, you have to be on the razor's edge to a certain extent. And the problem with being on the razor's edge is sometimes you get cut. In fact, most of the time you get cut. I think the weird thing about UTMB and to explain why Americans might not perform well there all the time is partially you get one shot at it and unless you're training on the course all the time it's really tough to control all those variables utmb um, is like shaving with one of those single blade razors that i shaved with for like my <laughs> entire life and it came with like a hundred percent chance of bleeding and then when i met you you're like why aren't you shaving with like the six blade razors so megan's solution to that is we have one of those like gillette extra epics razors and we just share it which is maybe the best sign that our relationship is in a good place um you know that sometimes like we'll pick up the razor and it'll be covered with like big pieces of hair and it'll be like i don't need to know where this <laughs> came from just gonna let my imagination wander on that one well you know we both have big pieces of hair that sometimes need removal yeah no i i mean for me it could be my head hair i have a big i have pubes on my head so um, i can't really complain uh so i made acronyms for each one megan can grade these on a scale of one to ten how about that each okay time great say. yeah perfect so utmb is um time moves backwards um, okay, I'm going to give you a four on that one because oh, it's, it's very accurate. Yeah. I think you have, I, I've like seen a taste of the other ones that are ahead. So I need to leave room on okay, my grading. Okay. So usually my very, usually in my book, like everything's like a six or above, but I'm going to leave room for what's ahead. I, I actually agree. I had trouble with the UTMB. Um, and what that means is that it is so far and it can feel really overwhelming. A good example is Scotty Hawker, an athlete we coach in 2019. I remember looking at the tracker when we went to bed. It was like mile 30 or something. And he was so far back, stopped at an aid station, clearly struggling. I was like, oh, fuck. I thought this was his day. I wake up and he's moving into third place. He podiums at UTMB after that really tough experience. It points out that this race is a series of ups and downs. Jim Walmsley, again, he was fifth in 2017. I believe he spent three hours in an aid station or something. So there's a lot of time in this race um, and, you know, it's it's complicated. I would love, so for Western States, we did a bunch of, we worked with a Stanford professor, Marshall Burke, and did a bunch of um, analyses to look at how the race was going to play out. I would love to know at UTMB, and I'm sure there's an ultra historian, statistician out there who could tell us this, yeah. is what's the correlation between place at mile 40 and place at the finish? And my uh, bet is that it's not super high. Um, and just the importance of staying patient, yeah. of, you know, just staying in it and really being there for 
the full scope with 107 miles. Yeah, it gets complicated for the winners now because they're going out so fast. It's a great point. Again, yeah. and like, I imagine you'd you'd almost have to look at cohorts of yeah. like the top 10, um, and you know, kind of compare within that cohort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like one person will always survive. Um, so the way I like athletes to imagine it is: imagine you're racing in Western states, and then you get to the finish line, and they turn around and run you back to Forest Hill. Like in terms of how to conceive of how far it is and how it's a little bit different type of race emotionally, um, and so. Super far. Um, and we'll get into previews of the athletes in it coming up here. Uh, so next is CCC. This is this year one of almost just as competitive as UTMB. It's 100K with 20,000 feet of climbing. It's been won by athletes like Claire Gallagher and Hayden Hawks in the past. So this has had a lot of American success. One interesting thing about this course is it starts with a 4.5,000 foot vertical climb. And it's insa- insanely steep. That can introduce a lot of complications into an ultra like this. It can introduce. People often go out way too fast in yeah. CCC, and that tends to bite you in the butt. Um, I think one of the challenges of the course, too, is that the course hits a low point um, at 50k, which is like yeah. halfway through the race, and people because it's so stacked, people are often charging from behind, yeah. and so it can make if people go out too hard on that first on that first climb, it's incredibly demoralizing around 50k in, and so we encourage all of our athletes to also approach this one with patience, yeah. but a little bit more. I mean, I think you know these races, especially if you want a top 10 position, it's kind of that delicate balance of being patient but staying in contact, yeah. um, and so it's it can be a little bit more of a difficult line to walk. Yeah, and Scotty Hawker again shows his incredible success here. He was second. At CCC last year doing that exact thing. He was like in 10th and moved up to second. And if he had the perfect day, he would have been able to get up to first. So there is time, even though it plays a lot faster. And that gets to the skills. This is a place where speed starts to matter. Like at UTMB, your mountain ability is is what it, where it's at. We'll get into that a little bit in the preview of athletes. Um, but here, you need to have a really good velo- you know climbing speed at lactate threshold, which will select for the fastest athletes almost always. Like you're not going to see a CCC winner that isn't also excellent at you know shorter distance races and probably slightly longer distance races this is a versatile athletes event but here's the thing though is i think there's been a lot of talk about how americans sometimes struggle at utmb races but i don't think that struggle fully i mean actually i don't think that that statement is true but i also don't think that struggle applies to encompass all of the utmb races so i think for ccc ccc to me is a lot like the boulder skyline trails that we have here um perhaps maybe it's not so similar to trails in in california like in the (laughs) bay area but certainly athletes training in colorado especially on the east coast like East Coast trails to me, shout out to the Beast Coast, yeah. way more technically challenging, in my opinion, than the trails at CCC. Oh, definitely. Especially in places like the Appalachians, totally more challenging. But don't underestimate it. Like, I think athletes often underestimate CCC. Like, oh, this is the fast one. It's like, no, actually, it's not. Well, I think the challenge with CCC is there's incredibly steep vert intermixed with, like, more runnable. And yeah. then it gets into technical terrain. And so it's like, it rewards the athlete that's constantly able to vary and whether, you know, vary their stride, vary their mental approach, vary the physical game and so that variation i think can be challenging for athletes that aren't used to that yeah i mean this is a controversial statement i'll say ccc gets close to picking the best ultra runner in the world i think utmb gets close to picking the best adventure mountain monster in the world you know and they're two different things and so technical prowess becomes incredibly important at ccc because you're moving fast over technical terrain so athletes that are good on technical it's something that will uh, matter here okay here's my acronym megan grade it one out of ten Champions can close. Ooh, I like that. I'm going to go with a six. Okay. Well, yeah. great. So it's all about the low point is at 50K. Yes. You need to be able to close hard yes, in this Yes, because race. that's actually like incredibly helpful advice. And, 
it's a yeah you wrapped it into an acronym and i'd like the the symmetry if that's nice boom i'll take it uh and then the final one we're going to review today is occ this is a 35 mile with 11,000 feet of climbing I'm not going to talk about it too much it's steep and nasty because you go really fast steep and nasty yeah it gets to power vo2 max what we talked about last week also lt climbing and then race experience for the specific nature of this type of race like the athletes that excel here often are also the best sky runners like mm-hmm. the short distance mountain runners so this is where ultra meets uh sub ultra in one like sexy little orgy that's a great description of it because you as as you mentioned well the sexy orgy. little orgy was yeah that yeah. i should have commented on that okay. that was an excellent descriptor of it um well you have you know shorter distance athletes coming in and competing with longer distance athletes mixing it up in this occ battle and i think it's an interesting interesting way to frame athletes against each other yeah so tons of athletes are coming in from all over right and that brings me to my acronym for occ opportunity creates chaos Ooh, i like that it's, well especially i mean you're saying it right now for podcast listeners which is everyone that can't see yeah. us you're using your hands you're, you're getting visual i'm gonna give you a seven on that one okay i'll take that also too because i feel like that could be a tagline for a startup yeah it could be like splank opportunity <laughs> creates start creates chaos i like it we're gonna just disrupt the ultra space um and then the final one that we're not going to talk about today is tds uh and i call it that dumb shit okay that's a 10 okay that's a, 10. That's a, that's a full scale 10 i knew that was coming definitely a 10 uh, i say that because it's it's, it's technical. Someone died there last it's year. It's incredibly technical. Um, it's not, it, you know, the death wasn't because of the race design or anything. It's just like being in the mountains can happen sometimes. Um, but I, it gave me hard feelings because it was raining last year. So yeah, it was tough on our athletes. And I think for us, I would much rather coach a race that has more like running components in it. Like I think for us, that's where like we really thrive uh, in terms of like applying a lot of our, our running based um, principles and so I I often tend to defer athletes away from TDS. Yeah. My favorite race to send athletes to is CCC. Um, yeah. It's just like I feel like it's the perfect balance of them all. But we we let athletes choose. Yeah, and we love it all. I mean, it's really interesting to think about how different skill sets can be rewarded in different events, and that's the great thing about this sport. Um, and so whether you're going for the fastest time or you're just trying to finish, like you can get there multiple ways to skin the cat, right? And finishing TDS is a big freaking deal yeah and that's like that's super i mean finishing UT, finishing any of these races is a big freaking deal even starting them i mean it takes it's so hard to i don't even know how people understand the qualification procedures anymore oh yeah i was looking at that website and athletes ask me all the time how do i get in and i'm like i don't know get a calculus degree and then look at this website i'm not sure it has something to do with stones i heard about race stones i'm like i don't get it um okay. i don't get it either also there is a 12 kilometer race I don't have a single athlete racing it, so I've, I have not stayed up to date on it. But I think they have a shorter distance race, too. Uh, I don't know. I don't think it's within the... We're not going to review that. Not going to no, review no that. No acronym for it. No acronym. Okay, so five UTMB race thoughts before we get to the specific uh, previews of some of the athletes. Um, the first one, and we're going to go through these kind of fast... Euro trails are uniquely constructed. You can't get the full scope of it and by looking at the profile. You kind of have to be on them to get what I mean. I appreciate it. I feel like the people that designed the European trails just kind of like took a toke of something fun. Yeah. And we're like, we're just going to draw some switchbacks up here and see where we head yeah. up. Um, that's how I feel every time I get on a European trail. But it's adventurous and it's beautiful and it's stunning. And I think fully embrace that, like, that marvel of what makes UTMB UTMB. Yeah, and sometimes... They just forget about switchbacks. They're just like up and there's like a, there's like a flag up there and you're like, 
I don't understand what you're trying to do here. Um, it's one of the reasons we like our athletes getting out there a little bit early. It really helps um, for training. And I think this year, most of our athletes are getting out there with enough time to at least do a couple runs on the course. It's great for adaptations right before you start. It can be challenging though, because you get into the circumstance. There's so many people out there on the trails. Like yeah. it's these famed and storied trails. And I have had a lot, a lot of athletes get out there and, you know, confidence can take a hit, but just understand too, that the context of training in a long run is exceedingly different than the context of training and racing. Yeah. And and that's what I try to reassure athletes is if it feels daunting on a long run, yes, it'll probably feel daunting in racing too, but a lot less daunting. Yeah, especially after a taper. Like it's a totally different experience. Uh, number two, we already mentioned a little bit, aid stations can be different. Uh, just be aware of that. It's very, I think one of the reasons Americans struggle is it's not your typical American aid station. Um, you know, you might not see salt tabs, but you will see the chocolate croissant that Megan mentioned. So a little bit of a weird experience sometimes. But will they have tailwind? Oh God, I hope not. That would be the worst of all worlds. Can you imagine mixing Tailwind and croissants together? <laughs> Dip them. Um, mm. It'll be, be be nice. Uh, number three, you have to wear big packs for a lot of these races, especially UTMB. Um, I have a joke coming up really soon, so this is a preview, where I'm going to say, preparing my UTMB pack, and then I start with a normal pack, and then I put another pack on top <laughs> of it, and then I put on two big chairs, and then I put on a duffel bag, and then I put on an actual really big backpack. Um, you have to carry a lot of shit. In you have race. to carry so much stuff. And the way they list it out is really complicated too. Yeah. It's kind of like going to CVS and you wait in line forever and you get all your you get all your CVS belongings and they give you this long ass receipt <laughs> that you really don't want. And it's like that lists everything that you need for, for UTMB races. Yeah. It's a lot. It is so much. Basically the astronauts going to space need to take less up than people do when they're going above Chamonix. It's, it's pretty wild. Uh, number four, just quick, we talked about this before, is poles become useful, especially in UTMB. Um, yeah. I, I'm, you know, if you listen to this podcast, you know my feelings on polls, which is officially fuck polls. <laughs> Not a big fan. Hot take of the day. Yeah. I, I mean, I've, I have some athletes that are using polls for GMB and CCC. I think it's awesome, but I don't have all my athletes using polls for, yeah. especially for CCC. I think that's one race. Claire Gallagher won without using polls. Yeah. Um, I'm sending some of my top athletes to CCC without using polls and I think they're ready to crush. Yeah. I think general principle is kind of have to use them in UTMB to save your body. Mm-hmm. CCC is 50-50. depends on the athlete and what they're experienced at. If you're a skier, definitely use poles or if you use them in training. But if you feel really uncomfortable with poles and you like your hiking anyway, uh, you know, you're just risking carrying around a spear to impale yourself with at some point. <laughs> Um, number five is steep downs make or break athletes. Uh, this applies across all the races. Some of these steep downs are relatively non-technical. If you're here in Boulder ever, Ranger Trail is a great descriptor of some of them. Um, so, you know, that's why you see athletes often chase vert in their training. And I think this brings us to the most interesting wrinkle of this year's race is Jim fucking Walmsley. Some of the training he's been doing out there in Europe this year. It's absolutely wild to behold i mean he's been doing 35 hours of training in a week with 64k of climbing which is something that like you know some athletes will see in a month some top athletes will see in a month and it's pretty wild i if you had to choose and we're getting we're gonna get into athlete previews jim versus killian who do you pick jim yeah i agree with you too and that's because i'm a (laughs) unabashed jim fanboy uh but i i mean it is interesting let's get into his training in a minute i think um it'll be you know it's an interesting training discussion um and i think it's you know important for everyone to kind of think about what the trade-offs are when you're doing something like that versus 
more well-rounded training, um, you know, whether that's a talent-based thing or if this is actually the only way to do it if you're trying to set a course record at UTMB. That's an incredible point. Here's the other wrinkle, and I was actually yeah. surprised you said gym and you didn't say this, is NSAIDs are no longer going to be allowed to be used during the race, um, so things like Advil, Aleve, etc. Um, and historically, they've been allowed in prior races. They yeah. were not last year, though I think athletes that use them were not actually punished, but I yeah. think this year they will have. And so make sure you follow those those UTMB rules plus the, the WADA rules. That we talked about on the podcast. Exactly. We don't necessarily agree with, but they're the rules, so you got to stick with them. But here's the thing is, is I think NSAIDs have historically been used in ultra running to help combat some of the leg fatigue felt in races. And I think athletes have gotten used to relying on them. And yeah. there can be a lot of medical consequences that come with that, you know, risk, risk for kidney injury, et cetera. Um, but I'd be curious to see what happens this year when athletes are not allowed to use them as well. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, we don't recommend NSAID use to any of our athletes, but... We are not ignorant to the fact that what I would be fascinated by is because this isn't talked about publicly. If you were actually looking at the data and you had info of what everyone athlete consumed, how many of the greatest ultra performances ever included and said use mid race? I'd be. I, I don't know. Do you have any theory about what that number might be percentage-wise that's putting you on the spot? It's putting me on a spot, and it's putting me on a spot in an uncomfortable question that I don't yeah. want to answer as well, as an MD. Well, I think it's high. Um, yeah. I, I, I mean, I would say, honestly, I would say, don't give this, is, this is not me recommending NSAIDs. I would say 60 to 70%. Yeah, and the, the pointing, what we're pointing out there is every athlete responds differently. We absolutely don't want you to use it or anyone to use it, but the fact that they're banned now at this race, just courts-based races, which is like a different system, um, might be different results than you would normally expect. You know, I assume it will, it'll be the same, but who knows? Just an interesting concept to think about. It is an interesting concept to think about. And here's the final point. Oh, and wait, this is a bonus point? This is a bonus point. Oh. This is extra. This is from Claire Gallagher. Claire came to visit us the other night. She brought us a pizza because she's like, Claire is just the best soul in the yeah. entire world. She's my mentor in life. She's just like an incredible person. So the interesting part is whenever a pizza delivery guy comes, Megan goes, you're my mentor in life <laughs> now. I hope this feels uncomfortable to you. <laughs> no, Claire is the mentor. She is the mentor in life. And she talked about feeling naive at when she won CCC, the fact that she just went in and was kind of like you know she did her training she felt great but she wasn't so entrenched in the community that it felt like all of this hype and pressure yeah. on her and she did a great job of walking that line between like enjoying the the fun of, of Chamonix and not feeling all that hype and pressure and I love the idea of going in naive and there was actually a patron listener that sent this in in response to our Jennifer Dudna conversation oh, interesting. last week about and Jennifer Dudna was the the science who's been working on CRISPR scientist who's been working on CRISPR and the the quote is Thoroughly conscious ignorance is the prelude to every real advance in science. Whoa. And I love the concept of thoroughly conscious ignorance. And I think if you could head into any UTMB race with that, it would be quite helpful for the psyche, for performance, for all all encompassing. I love that for running. I also love that for everything. Right? Right? Like, um, I mean, I often think about that with business development. It's like, I think so many people I see that want to start a business get so caught up in like every little thing preceding the business creation and the actual doing of whatever the work is that they don't just do the work and let the business stuff fall into place. And I think sometimes embracing thoroughly conscious ignorance can be a you know boon to actually shooting your shot because it's really scary to shoot your shot if you know everything that can happen if you fail. And here's the thing. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're doing a UTMB race, you've put in the work. Yeah. And now is the time to chill, to enjoy, to trust the process. And I think go in with that like fully conscious ignorance and 
freaking rocket. Yeah, absolutely rocket. We are so proud of you. Okay, so now we'll just do a quicker thing on our race picks. Um, this is complicated for UTMB. It's not like Western states where there's just like a group of people that are, are within the, that you know are going to be in there. We went through every single top athlete at Western states. Yeah. I was actually going back. I think almost every athlete in the top 10 we covered on our podcast. Yeah, and we predicted actually very well. If you had used our predictions for free trial fantasy, you would have excelled, but we don't participate in the fantasy because we're like, that's conflict of interest. Inside trading. Yes. Um, so for UTMB, we're not going to do it that way. We're just going to highlight a couple interesting stories, maybe pick who might win, um, and talk about our athletes a little bit. You know, as always with our athletes, we're going to be like coy. Like we don't want to just make this about swap athletes. That's uh, weird. It's also a little self-promotional, um, but we love them so deeply. So we also don't want to like, we want to make sure they know if they're listening, we think you're going to absolutely rock it. You know exactly what we think you're going to do because we're very honest with you before these events. Um, so first, uh, one of our athletes I did want to highlight just because she's an interesting background in a name to watch as an American woman is Emily Caldwell. Uh, she's here in Boulder. Um, she's a former elite skier. Skiers are badasses. She's an outstanding descender. Yes. I actually, I wonder how often that relates to being a skier. I think there's something about mm. skiing that like, whether it's like the proprioception or just like the badass or you needed to descend pretty fast. Yeah. Skiers are often great descenders. Yeah. She has faster times than I do on a lot of the technical trails. <laughs> um, and I consider myself pretty good. Um, and so she's obviously good with poles too. Other thing about skiers is they can put anything in their stomach. Uh, because yes. yeah. the, in that, that culture of that sport is like they just eat pizzas mid mid um, ski and so as a result they have you know iron stomachs um and she just set a big record at the Ure 50 miler which has more a higher vert ratio has 20k of vert than utmb so this is a fun little tidbit for you all I, I i love emily and she's a very cool person here's the thing about emily i often see her i'll be like driving midday in Boulder, yeah. and she'll be coming back from a long run like having fully seen the world and she wears the coolest big glasses yeah. when she runs i'm really into the big glasses yeah. these days are you gonna be wearing them when you come back well, here's the thing. I actually, I struggle with them on trails. Like they kind of yeah. mess up my proprioception balance on trail running. I love them for biking, but if I can start to train myself to wear them for trail running, I will. They have the new hotness. Like you oh, see everybody them. in them. Oh, it's, yeah. it's pretty wild. Also, you feel like you're like, no one can see what I'm thinking inside here. You know? <laughs> yeah. Elle Perrier wears them on the start line of track races yeah. and it's like, she's in stealth mode back there. Yeah, I want to go full stealth mode. It's kind of like when I roll up in my Honda, it's, it's like in my Honda Accord and it has tinted <laughs> windows. That's me rolling up with the sunglasses. Okay. So the big storyline here that everyone's talking about is Killian versus Jim. I think it's more complicated than that. I mean, looking at the start list, there's a lot of great athletes, but it points out different approaches. So Killian is incredibly scientific in his training and he just was fifth at Sierra's and all, which is a two and a half hour race. He's very fast right now. Um, and he was you know, one hard rock four weeks before that. And so he's mixing all of this, like mix of ultra speed, everything else. Jim, meanwhile, has gone to the Alps and has dedicated himself purely to UTMB with a single-minded focus on being prepared for the specific demands of this race. So if you look at his training, you can't really discern specific intervals. I'm sure he is doing harder efforts on climbs sometimes and harder efforts here and there, but it's not like He's not doing track workouts that I've seen. Maybe he is um, that I'm missing, but it's a little bit different approach for Jim. And, you know, it has led to a week with 64,000 feet of vert at one point. Um, he's averaged 24 hours of training per week looking at his Strava over the last, you know, four week average that he did. Um, and so you're looking at kind of clash of two of the titans of sports history. And I can't wait to see what happens. I, I'm picking Jim. 
What are, what's you doing? I'm picking Jim as well. Okay. You know, I think Killian coming off the Hard Rock and Sierras and all, that's a lot of stress. I mean, Killian seems to thrive in that context, but like yeah. it's a lot to recover from. And I, Jim has fully, as you said, devoted himself to this. And that's something he hasn't done before. Yeah. And, you know, he's familiar with the course. He's, he's been over there a long time. So Team Jim Jim. Yeah. And I think the lesson here is every time Jim has fully dedicated himself to something in the past, history has happened. So not only do I think Jim is going to win, I'm going to go on a limb here and say, if the course is the same, he's going to set an hour-long course record, an hour course record. Like, I totally, I totally not just a small you. course record, a big one. And here's the thing about Jim. Actually, I was just reflecting on this. Is I remember when Jim first started coming out with what he was doing in training in 2017, yeah. when he like first broke into the sport of ultra running, and everyone was like, "Jim Wamsley is like he's the next prophecy." Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jim Wamsley is coming. He has stuck around. Yeah. Like to you know, his training is pretty wild. They make for some really fun stats on here, really fun travel stalking. You know, he has to this point proven longevity in sport, and I think that's yeah. something that's really cool to see. Yeah, and he periodizes it very well. Yeah, he yeah. does these big things, but it's not like that year round. He does a lot of biking, does a lot of other activities, does a lot of rest. Um, so as you can tell, we're big gym fans in this household. In this household, we stand gym. <laughs> um, uh, some other names to throw out there is Tom Evans, uh, one of the fastest athletes in the world. He's been podium at Western distance, Western States, lots of short distance wins. And then Tim Tolson, who had a disappointing race at Western States, but that could be the perfect jumping off point for this race. He's been podium here before, um, and his training has been fantastic. And I wonder about Tim and heat. I think he seemed to struggle. Just, I mean, he actually, he's had great races in some heat conditions. Like yeah. I know he's done American river really well in hot races or hot years. Um, but I think UTMB is a course that really plays in his favor. Yeah. And I'm excited to see what he does with his training he's historically very smart with his training yeah and then there's like 10 other athletes that could win that we haven't oh mentioned. my god there's like 45 other yeah, athletes yeah. who could win but at least at least 10 um and i i want to throw out there in the absolute biased mechanism is scotty hawker i mean he's been third at utmb in 2019 then the next year this was race was run um in utmbs he was second at ccc three two what does that mean this year I don't know. I'm just saying. You should learn some math <laughs> if you can't figure that out. Um, okay, so let's go to women. Um, Ragna Dabatz is, is there, who's an absolute beast. Um, Marianne Hogan, coming back from Western States. We talked about how much we love her. Third at Western States. She looked calm, cool, controlled all day at Western States. And I'm really excited. I feel like she strikes me more as like a mountain sort of runner than yeah. a Western States sort of runner. So, And she's been over there training quite a bit. So I'm excited to see She what can do it all. She Huge. can do it all. And Brittany Peterson, too, yeah. coming back from Western States. She struggled at Western States, but she was sick. And yeah. she handled that like a champ. I am so impressed with how she finished. She, you know, got through that day and I'm excited to see what she can do at UTMB. Yeah. She's We're, a great person. A great person. And I mean, clear American bias here because the next person is Hillary Allen um, who has had an epic comeback after her life-threatening fall that she had um, back in 2017, I believe. And then finally, Sabrina Stanley. Um, Sabrina Stanley has rocked European mountain races. She's won major US races too. And um, what I really like about her though is she really put herself on a limb before Hard Rock this year mm -hmm. and posted a controversial post about um, the need for more inclusion. Well, how is this is a thing is yeah. it was quote unquote controversial, but I'm like, how is this post controversial? <laughs> she just basically was saying that she wasn't racing because she felt like it wasn't inclusive enough to women. And yeah. I thought it was an amazing thing. Yeah, and I think it's an amazing thing. But you know, whenever you you know talk speak truth to power there's a reason that they have power and so you know it is risky for someone like that you would assume to a certain extent you have to, you're getting vulnerable it's courage yeah, yeah. You know? oh it took so much courage to do that yeah but i don't think it was uh i don't think it was controversial i like it so who's your pick you know 
I'm gonna go with Sabrina Stanley. Oh, I'm feeling. I am feeling the like the vulnerable swag of a power of what she did, and she's a great mountain runner. Yeah. Um, I think. I mean, there's just it's hard to choose. Honestly, I like, I like this. No, no, the, the, this is not putting us on the spot to like act, be right. This is us just being biased. Yes, um, exactly. So we we acknowledge our biases. I like your I like your Sabrina Stanley pick, and I'm gonna agree with you. Let's let's just. Oh. It's eighth year. Uh, we're oh, yeah, we are together. agreeing on everything. What's um, happening? We'll see. We'll see about CCC, which is coming up next. Uh, this is the race that has tons of our athletes in it. Um, you know, some of the favorites. Uh, God, we love them so much. Like Matt Daniels, Meg McKenzie, um, Stephen Kirsch, others. Um, Hannah Allgood. That's who I wanted to highlight. Oh, yeah. I was like, As, don't forget about Hannah, my girl. Yeah. I kind of think Hannah Allgood might be like, you know, the like I so her data instead of uh you know love um her performance at San Juan Solstice against Claire where they finished one two with Hannah winning by just a few seconds was absolutely shocking and if it was a race that was an international like performance like people understood they would have been like holy fucking shit this athlete um so you know knowing how her good her training has been from you I'm like holy shit Hannah watch out I'm so excited. And here's the thing with Hannah too, is she's just getting started. Like every little incremental training cycle that we build on each other, she just gets better and better. So I think, you know, expect for her at CCC to show up even stronger than San Juan Solstice when, yeah. you know, she took down Claire, former, um, and Claire had an incredible race yeah, as so she gets good. ready for Leadville. Um, so I'm excited. And she's just a, also a great person. I'm yeah. a great person is like my tagline today, but I just love <laughs> all these people. I'm feeling it. I love them so much. It just gets back to why we don't even actually care where people finish as long as they're fulfilled. Um, Actually, I deeply care. I want Hannah to win. Okay. <laughs> High five. That's a good coaching moment. Um, yeah, and then we have we have, we're trying not to mention our athletes, but hey, if you're one of our athletes listening, um, you know how we feel because we just had our post uh, pre taper discussion with you probably, and you're welcome. Um, so others, big names, Ruth Croft doubling back after Western States. Not sure she's doing it. I assume she is, uh, given that she's still on the start list. But the history of doubling back from Western States, not fantastic usually. But Ruth Croft is a mutant. so I think uh, it's a little bit different, though, for CCC compared to UTMB. Yeah. I think athletes have historically had more success doubling back from Western States to CCC. So yeah. we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Um, next up, Abby Hall, American, second place last year. Absolute mountain boss. Um, only expect her to improve. And so I think it's just a question of what everyone else does around that. I, to- um, I totally agree. Next up, Ida Nilsson? Ida Nilsson? Actually, that's why I paused for a second. Yeah. I was like, you can say she's a boss. And yeah. I didn't want to disrespect her by saying th- her last name wrong because she's like a total goat in sports. So I was like, David, you can say yeah. that. But she's coming off a foot injury. Um, I know she hasn't had like an incredibly smooth training block, but she is the goat. And she so is so good. Every time. Yeah. Maybe not the Yeah. There's so many goats, but she's. There's a goat herd that yes. we're talking about here. Yeah. A bunch of nice goats. And then we're the dog that herds them. We're just like jumping up like, hey, goats. Um, yeah. What I always remember about her is 2017 North Face 50 miler, most competitive 50 in the world. Um, and at that race, in retrospect, was one of the most epic women's races ever. So Ido won, Ido won. And then right behind her was Claire. Right behind Claire was Megan Kimmel, who's one of the best short distance mountain races ever. Then Megan Roach, uh, who's one of the best ever and was doing her first 50. And then Brittany Peterson. And you think about that top five all stacked together going faster than that course has been run before. On the, It's like wild to think about how, you know, 
like prescient that that race was. Also, RIP North Face 50. That yeah. race is incredible. I wish it could come back. Yeah, I, I'm just excited for you to... I can't wait till post-pregnancy, Megan. Um, interesting one, Jasmine Lothar, Lothar um, who ran away at Canyons this year, the Canyons 100K. She didn't race Western States and she's on the start list here. And it looked like she had a really big training. Um, so very interesting wild card. She seems to have great mountain experience. Also, she's Canadian and oh, yeah. we love... Canadians are special goats. Fuck. We love Canadians. I know, we're going to be that dog that's just like... Like picking on the one goat, like, yeah, you're the yeah. best. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really bad at hurting, but really good at giving positive affirmations. Um, so can I say my pick? Yeah, go for it. Hannah Allgood. Oh yeah, that's my pick. You, we agree. I just want to, I just want to back you up. How about for men? Um, okay, yeah. So men, I think the big one here is John Albin. He's won basically everything, um, even the OCR World Championships, obstacle horse racing. Uh, he's clearly just an amazing athlete. So perfect for CCC. And then you back that up with um, think about Hayden. Hawks is doing this. He's a past winner. Again, doubling back from Western States. Um, and he's a monster. David Sinclair, Speedgoat winner. Um, but I want to have my, my, I really want to say Matt Daniels. Uh, one of this my is your friends. Hannah All Good moment. I love Matt Daniels so much, uh, but I don't want to put that pressure on him. Matt, let's not race. To, like, just have fun. Um, but we'll Matt, I, I want to put that pressure on no, Matt. No, 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 no. Yes. Pressure. No, pressure on not, no pressure on Matt, but Matt is, I mean, he can just show up and do Matt things without yeah. having pressure. He's really good. Okay. Well, Maybe I do want to put pressure on Stephen Kirsch. I okay. don't know. I don't think Stephen Kirsch listens, but if you look at his training, it's been fucking wild. Um, but you know, John Albin and Hayden, I think, are, are two beasts. I would, you know, for an objective pick, John Albin that's not swap. You need to keep picks off swap. And then OCC, I'm not going to talk about this too much because we're getting towards the end. Uh, but we have a, a few great athletes in it, um, including Ashley Brassavant, who we absolutely love. She won Speedgoat in her first ultra. She's been top 10 at Worlds. Kimber set the rim-to-rim FKT, Kimber Maddox, in the Grand Canyon. Um, And then, you know, it's just exciting to see those two athletes stepping up in Europe. But, you know, don't want to put pressure on them either. They've had a long years already. I'm so excited. And someone, I used to do workouts, track workouts with Ashley back in college. And she is such the best fighter mentality, but also like chill swag at the same time. So I'm excited to see her approach for this race. But that being said, in the women's race, also Allie McLaughlin is racing. Allie McLaughlin has had one of the most dominant mountain ultra running scenes actually just actually pure mountain scenes this year yeah mount marathon course record um broken arrow vk winner she's second then at broken arrow 26k she's racked up at a number of colorado races and she's just she's an outstanding talent and she's on the top of her game yeah and i mean there's great athletes here so sarah alonzo is doing it alonzo is doing it who's leading the golden trail series or at least was before sierra's and all danny moreno is doing it from the u.s but seeing ali at mount marathon i'm like you know there's as long as she like feels well and feels good and has the endurance like I haven't I don't know what she's doing in training but Allie is Allie and that's remarkable and um, she's an incredible short distance specialist so excited to see her mix it up in the longer distances I was unsure she's you know focused a lot on uphills yeah. so I wasn't sure how she was going to descend and then I watched Mount Marathon yeah. and I got goosebumps and I was like she might even descend better than she climbs <laughs> it's so true um, and then for men uh, Robbie Simpson is defending his title there so gotta pick him but my my favorite is the guy that's at the top of the itris scores is named bart and then his last name starts with the p and it ends in wooski um, <laughs> he's like one of the best in the world i just don't know how to pronounce his name but i have a sentimental attachment to a, someone named bart so i'm gonna pick bart i love that name uh and so go bart at the start of our relationship flashback yeah. 12 years ago we there was this ultra runner in in north carolina who was incredible and his name was bart and he just was like this steadfast yeah. amazing friend so whenever there's someone in life called bart we're like bart 
Bart. Bart's just the best. And that's how we feel. I mean, I feel like I points and Bart, and he's going to come through. Go, Bart. Um, and to all of you out there, even if your name's not Bart, to us, you are Bart. <laughs> Ultimate statement. That is the highest honor right next to chocolate milk. So I think we're ready to finish this podcast because I'm looking at your ice thing around your neck, and it is all melted except for little nubbins at the end, which is a good sign that, you know, nature is healing. You have gotten back. You have crushed this podcast, so... Great job, Megan. And happy 8th anniversary, too. Happy anniversary. This ice, I was feeling the heat. I was so excited for our anniversary. This ice, I'm pretty sure, melted three minutes into the podcast. But you know what? I'm going to put it on my head right now. Oh. And it's going to be a great headband. It doubles. You look like a warrior princess. Yeah. Bringing warrior princess energy to the rest of the week. Okay. So you want to do Listener Corner or not? Let's see. Yeah. We always do Listener Corner. Okay. Let's do it. This is very quick. Hi, Megan and David. Uh, First of all, thanks for all you do. I really appreciate your honesty, vulnerability, and raunchy humor. It is a great model for all of us to put ourselves out there. Hell yeah, get your squirts on. Um, <laughs> this weekend, I was running a soft rock style adventure in Elk Range in Colorado, connecting Snowmass, Crested Butte, Marble, and back to Snowmass with a few friends. Ooh. After a 41 mile day, we met some older folks in the hot tub at our hotel in Crested Butte. Eventually, the conversation towards, t- turned towards, okay, and what the heck are you three up to? Uh, one of the older gentlemen who worked in medicine proceeded to tell us, you know that running long distances is bad for you as smoking cigarettes, right? Having run ultras for 10 years, I was used to the running ruins your knees trope, but I've never heard someone frame endurance exercises in such a way. Eventually, I responded with my usual thoughts. The racing and ultra distance stuff may not be good for me, but the daily training probably is. He responded, actually, daily marathon training is as bad for you as smoking two packs of cigarettes. This guy should be disbarred from medicine. (laughs) Uh, This interaction got me thinking about ultra running and long-term heart health and wondered your thoughts. Should I give up this ultra thing and just start smoking 10 packs of cigs a day for the same health benefit as my hot tub friends seem to suggest? Or is there a more complex narrative regarding ultra running and long-term health? What a reading. You just sped through that like a champ. It was so fast. Does that indicate we're getting to our time limit on the podcast as I indicated would happen? Yeah, it does. Uh, You were right as always, and I appreciate you, and you look beautiful, and I'm happy you exist. And what's the fifth one? Oh, I don't know. Your happy chocolate milk exists. Yes. We'll get back to that. But here's the thing. I am basking in this. I feel right in the moment. But going back to our anniversary, you kind of, I wasn't entirely sure about, you wanted to engage, like you wanted to propose very early on. And I was like, I wasn't entirely sure, but you were right. It's been the best eight years of our entire life. So thank you so much. You are amazing. Well, that's great that we've had great eight eight great years because apparently alternating will take 10 years off our lives. (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, So to get back to this question, absolutely not uh, a concern at all. We've gone over studies on this in the past, but essentially there's a dose response relationship with exercise where once you start, longevity increases massively very quickly. Then it starts to level off. There is no downturn as far as we can tell across the literature. Not a huge body of it on ultra athletes, but once you start to look at like the anecdotal information, absolutely no evidence. So yes, you are starting to hit like an asymptote, like it's starting to level off from someone that might do less activity or but still active, um, but absolutely no problems for longevity and so you're totally good and you can smoke those cigarettes for fun (laughs) rather than to prove a point and never let asymptotes stop you in life yeah yeah i love that megan you put the ass in asymptote i was gonna make the same joke (laughs) cheers cheers to eight years of marriage cheers to all your you know juicy stuff Mm, over time lots of it everywhere (laughs) we love you all thank you so much for being on this journey with us huzzah woohoo